I invest because I believe that in the founder, I want to believe that business is going to make a difference to the ecosystem, to the economy down the road. Because there are a lot of problems in the space, in, in life, business, economies, financial, technology, and everything. And if we don't support these new ideas to disrupt, to support, to better, then we will never achieve. I invest because I believe that in the founder, I want to believe that business is going to make a difference to the ecosystem, to the economy down the road. Because there are a lot of problems in the space, in, in life, business, economies, financial, technology, and everything. And if we don't support these new ideas to disrupt, to support, to better, then we will never achieve. But at the peak of it, the number of jobs, the amount of technology, the kind of innovation that it was giving, they couldn't have done it if there was no support. Welcome to Brave. Learn from Southeast Asia's best tech leaders. Build the future, learn from our past, and stay human in between. No BS on success. I'm Jeremy Al, venture capitalist, serial founder, Harvard MBA, sci-fi nerd, and dad of two daughters. Mondays for your weekly tech news debate with Shiyan Co, managing partner of Hustle Fund. Wednesdays for interviews of regional changemakers covering both the highs and lows of leadership. Fridays for personal diary insights and listener questions and answers. Join our movement of over 12,000 members for transcripts, analysis, and community at www.bravesea.com. Do you manage your own IT for distributed teams in Asia? You know how painful it is. Asseville helps your in-house team by taking tough tasks off their hands and giving them the tools to manage IT effectively. Get help across eight countries in Asia-Pacific, which includes onboarding, procurement, device management, real-time IT support, offboarding, and more. Gain full control of all your IT infrastructure in one place with our state-of-the-art platform. Check out Esevel, E-S-E-V-E-L.com and get a demo today. Use our referral code Brave for three months free. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, Shaoning. Really excited to have you on the show. I still remember our first conversation where I was a prospective founder, your prospective angel, and I really was struck by your warmth and also brainstorming at that point of time. So excited after a couple of years to bring you on the show and share a little bit about your journey and thoughts. Thank you, Jeremy. Thanks for inviting me to this program. And, and thanks for doing this to bring angels and, and new angels and then to support founders together. Yeah. So could you introduce yourself real quick? Okay, so very quickly, I, I started as a founder first in year 2000. Long story short, fast forward in a sense. So 2000 was actually the era in Southeast Asia where there was not much startups per se, but we were lucky. We chose a, a business that turned out to be a good choice as a job portal that's cash flow positive. So not by choice, but we had no funding. So we learned to fund our business via sales, via cash flow, via really going on the ground to sell the product. And fast forward into 2012, we were approached by the leaders in the US and we were bought up. 
And we did two years of earn out. After that two years, we left the business, technically, officially, financial freedom. So with that, and then with, I would say, the last two, three years of running Job Central, we, we found it in ourselves that how could we further support our ecosystem then, right? So 2009, 2010, that period of time, we started angel investing, started working. Not started as angel investing, but I would say started more as advisors and mentors to share with the ecosystem what's going on in this space. And then I think after we officially got out of full-time working in 2014, I was in that second phase of life that I didn't know what to do with myself. So 14, 15, 16, I think so-called portfolio life where you did a bit of everything, social work and everything. And I just felt like there's no bite in life. So 2017, 2018, we decided that we need to find an anchor again. And I realized personally, we're doing a lot of investing then. And then I realized that what I really enjoy is interacting with the founders, how I can really support them. So by then, we already had 20 plus direct angel investment and we also invested in VC. But then I also realized that to better support the founders, I have to, I have to bring more people into this. Because on a personal level, no matter how big your pot is, it's a limited bullets, right? So if I can get more people into the space, I can support more founders and I can bring more angels who has more wider breadth of skill set to support the ecosystem. And that's why I set up Angel Central in 2018. And then I become really more like a professional angel in that sense. And also by then we realized, so I invest together with Ashing, my husband. And we also realized that angel investing allow us to have outside of the home interaction. No longer talking to the computers, just talking to the bankers or just talking to the children. Life is a lot more interesting after that. Yeah. That's more than a million, I think. <laughs> as much time as you need. And yeah. so, you know, what's interesting is that you became interested in startups via a founder and eventually as an angel investor. So what attracts you to startups versus you know, so many professions, right, in business in Southeast Asia? What when keeps I you in it? Yeah. Maybe you why you started why and why you continue. Yeah. A, you mean why I became a founder? Okay, so I became a founder at, as a fresh grad. And so in me, so I grew up in the, I'm a, I'm a Taiwanese by birth. So in a sense, actually almost all Taiwanese have this belief that they can be a business owner. And so I grew up in that environment and think, and I, and I always thought that I would join my dad in his business and everything when I, when I grow up or when I graduate, that didn't happen. But that idea of running my own stuff never went away. So that's why I studied business and that's why I was always thinking that out there. But I actually didn't have a timeline. And then when opportunity came, it, it just happened. And it didn't help that when I was in the US between 96 to 99, you saw so much dot-com stories and the excitement. And then at the age of 20, early 20s, you feel like you own the world. You're on top of the world. You can do anything that you want, right? And yeah, so when the opportunity came and I just... I just felt that I got to give it a try. And then I realized how little I know about everything in this world. And then you realize the power of money. Then you realize the power of learning. Yeah, that's how, how I became a founder. And, and also there is this, so the truth is we launched the business in March 2000. NASDAQ crashed in April 2000. 
So all the modern world is going to fund you, right? But I just didn't believe that we couldn't make it. So I think it's that that stubbornness and the, you could call it resilience, but I just, I just cannot believe that we couldn't do it. So we just go out and sell us. And what's interesting is that, you know, you were able to, as you said, cash out and then you decided to angel invest instead of just investing, right? I mean, come on. Like you just mentioned the dot-com crash. I mean, a lot of people lost their shirts, right? You know, so, you know, there's a lot of like conservative stocks to do. There's bonds. Boring. Very good. There's real bonds estate. Bonds are doing very well now. Yeah, exactly. Right. So you decided to do angel investing. So can you, how, how did you start entering angel investing as a category and asset class personally? I think on the very truthful way, I didn't go in thinking that I want to do angel investing. And it was really, I think in 2014, 15, that period of time. Okay, 14, I was busy doing with my confinement. So I had my fourth kid then. 15, 16, I was really having a lot of coffee because there's so much time on your hand. And I was just very happy sharing the journey, helping the founders. But it was through that journey, I realized, so the founders need your first dollar of investment, first hire, and first sales dollar. And it's through those interactions, I realized how acute these three are lacking in the ecosystem. And so I could support them. I could support them by talking through them, adjusting mindset, sharing stories, what worked, what didn't work. But I, I realized that first dollar of investment, like I said, even if I bullets to support everyone, it's not going to be sensible. So how do I support them better? So initially, it really started by sharing stories, helping them to shorten their learning curve. But along the way, you realize putting in the dollar together is a, a, a good way to invest. It's a good way to support, especially provided that you really believe in the story. So for me personally, the investments I've done, that is that I'm not impact per se investor, but I would like startups that have that overlay of helping mankind, helping in a certain way. And then Dershing, coupled with Dershing, Dershing is a very financial, number-sensitive person. So the two of us kind of like work together to, to build the portfolio. But when we build up Angel Central, it's really, because we, we saw the, in a sense, it's a hype. And then we, people around us start seeing what we are doing and they're curious. And a lot of our friends are mid-career or they are business targets, they have money, but they just, how to enter this space. Right. So we started running workshops and, and start having a, a casual community. And at the counter, it just happened. But I think it's the, the satisfaction of seeing that spark in the founder's eye when something that worked, when something that I said worked for them. And then when you see the business owners or the, the professionals that come in and say that this is something that actually I think beyond my dollar, I could spend some time to help. So, so we don't encourage our members to be uh, all in, but we would suggest that going slow, but key is it must be a business that you support and it must be a founder that you, you, you can see yourself talking to at least on a money basis. Try not to be passive, but don't also go in thinking that you want to take over the wheel and be the driver. It, it's, a, it's a balance, but I think that's actually how we can support the founders a lot more because especially the young founders, sometimes they don't know how to sell. Or they don't know how to manage relationship. Like it took me, I'll say years to learn how to manage teams, right? Yeah. So, so those are things that actually we could share experiences to cut short the learning curve. Yeah. 
So you started sharing about some of the lessons that people have learned as an angel investor and that you personally are helping coach syndicate members to do so. Any particular personal lessons that you learned because you've done over 44 startups investments, right? So how, what lessons have you personally learned as an angel investor over that time? I've learned not to be emotional. And I have learned, so, so one data that I would like to shout out is, I think because as a woman investor and I invest together with my husband, I, I would say because of my presence and my involvement, about 35 to 38% of my portfolio are a women CEO founder. And almost half of my companies have a woman co-founder. So women CEO or women solo founders are, I mean, are, are a category that certain investors shy away from. And so personally, when I started, I was a, a little bit emotional about this. And there are cases where I would say that I would actually, we used to have this silver bullet rule between Tushing and me. We had one silver bullet each per year. And there was actually one case where I was emotional about it. And then I invested in that solo women founder. It turned out to be a disaster. So I learned that what I want to support by listening, by nudging, by, by listening, investing, I should never use my silver bullet simply because my husband gave objective data to say why it's not a case. But I do have two other cases of solo women founders who are doing well. So it's not, it's not a saying that women founders do not work, but it's more, I got to remember that I will listen to them, but I still got to evaluate using hard data and support because it's a, it's a good case, not because it's a solo women founder, but should never shy away from that conversation in the first place. So that's an interesting intersectional problem, right? Obviously, women hold up half the sky. So obviously, I think in business and everywhere else, I think they are, in terms of talent and opportunity, pretty much should be half on average. And then obviously, women also buy a lot of things, right? They buy, for example, they make household decisions, they make business decisions, they make a lot of consumer spend is driven by women. So I'll say at least half the economy is also driven by women as well, right? From a yeah. buying basis. And, but also, like you said, there is a conception that women founders, unfortunately, are underperforming the market, right? Like you said, so people shy away from yeah. that. And then also there's you who, who want to support female founders, right? So what do you think is the reality of that? Like, is, is, there, are, is there reasons for underperformance? Is there, or is it like the market is just totally underpricing or, or mispricing the opportunity here? Okay, what do you see? For, I will talk for years on this day. <laughs> but, but maybe just, just succinctly putting it across that this is my view. I, I, I think the business world is a very masculine environment. The, the choice of languages, the style of languages, the, the, the way you carry yourself, it's a very masculine environment. And, and men has been dominating the business world for industrial age until now, right? So because of that, it's entrenched and people do not realize that. And in a sense, I think for women who had done well, you will notice that there are certain traits about them unknowingly, knowingly or unknowingly, they put done well on their own corner. They're very masculine, in, masculine not in appearance, but masculine in the way that think, the way they project. 
So for a, a new founder or for women who are entering the space and they keep to their language style in the in the feminine, there is going to be miscommunication because the the existing environment environment will judge the founder using the language style that they that they are used to. So typically, women like to end sentence. Women make statements using question marks. So women will tell you, "I think I can do this." Yes, we can, right? But the the, med, the the guy founder will be like, yes, we can do this. This is how we're going to do it. So you see that definitive way versus the women are more, you can say it's indirect, but because we're just not used to the, the confrontational. So imagine these two styles being seen in the, in the, in the IC meeting. And, and half, more than half of the, the room, even if there's a female sitting on the other side of the table, they're going to judge it the way that they are used to in the business environment. So you will see that women as less confident. So one thing that I share with the female founders who are going to fundraising or in any negotiation stage is that always do your sentence this way. End it. Don't end it with a question. The t intonation, the way you speak, the way you carry. Not to the extent to say that please wear pants and don't wear skirt. That, that actually, some people actually advise that because it's the outward appearance that you're doing it. But for me, it's just more of the, the style, the confidence. And you don't, also, there's a fine line between aggression and assertive, assertiveness. So you got to know how to balance that. And the other thing is literally got to press your voice down a little bit so that you are more grounded kind of feel. And I think a lot of people, men, women, they don't realize this part about women. I would say women are capable, but when you don't real, you when you're not used to the environment that you're behaving in, you bring your natural style. So that is something that I feel is it's in a sense it's superficial, but it can be easily quickly addressed. And what's interesting is that you said that you also coach female investors, right? And they say that they themselves are interpreting it with that. Lens. So that's interesting, right? Like, how does that... Uh, I, I wouldn't say I coach. Yeah. I, I mean, with, on the investor side, I'm very mindful that everyone has different checklist style pre preference in there for their investment. So I, I don't coach coach per se, but I will share what I think, what trigger me to invest, and then what trigger them to invest. It, it's, it's, it could be very different. But I would say a lot of women, when you get to the level when you're able to invest and you're investing out of your own bank account, these are women who have survived in the business environment for a long time. So they are really masculine in the way they function. So just be, it's just more of reminding so that they are mindful of what the women on the other side of the table is saying and, and don't read it in, the, in, a, in a conventional way. But that said, I will say a lot of women found that this part, I think I probably get killed after saying this. I don't know whether I edit this. I did have a, this conversation with two other women investors, who women angels who have been investing for a long time. A lot of women founders, especially solo founders, they have both victim mindset plus a hero mindset. They feel that they got to do everything. And then nobody appreciates them at all. And, but I never heard of this kind of complaint from any male founders. A lot of female founders, are, they, they take it very personal. And, but they feel that they got to save the world. And that's very tricky to handle. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, 
I understand it to some extent. I remember I was uh, fundraising in the US and I was an Asian male. My co-founder was Caucasian female. And I definitely remember an investor at some point said to us like, oh, it's good. We can check you twice uh, under diversity. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I felt both of those dynamics, right? Um, yeah. I, I uh, think it's very interesting you mentioned this, you no? Know, because in the US, I, I was actually invited to join a, a, a dialogue where I was put under minority investor and minority founder slash investor. I got shocked of it because I never felt that. But I, I think the environment in the US, I think it's really very tricky. Yeah. So I think it's really less, not necessarily just a women thing, but it's really more like outsider, insider, right? When Societal. you're in a minority, majority, is just yeah. when you're outside, you're both hero and victim, right? Which is, I think, true, right? I, I don't yeah. look at it as a judgment thing. It's more like, it's, that's, that's what I think. I had that feeling myself personally, yeah. right? So, and I was doing education, right? So people were like, oh yeah, it makes sense for you to be doing education. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just looking at that. I'm just so, like, I can't that even. That is so stereotypical. And of course I kept quiet. I didn't say anything. Okay. <laughs> so, oh, no. oh, God. Anyway, so, yeah. so I think, I think it's a fair point, right? And I think what's interesting actually is that what I've noticed is that I met obviously about half my portfolio. So are female founders as well. But I think one thing I noticed is that obviously they we meet and then obviously I think they often ask me after that is like, hey, are there any female angels that could come on, right? I think, and one thing I realized is that, of course, the male founders I've met, they're just like, who has money? Let's go, right? It doesn't matter. You're like male, woman, <laughs> white, green, purple, yeah. you know? <laughs> you know it's just, just go, right? I mean, you know, yeah, like, you know. yeah. Whereas I think what I've noticed for sure is that I think there's a lot of female founders are looking for, or feel like they, they, there aren't that many female angels, right? Women angels that, that they would like to have. And I think it's very important to them. I think it makes sense, right? It's affinity dynamic there. Yeah. So for Angel Central, we have 140 members, 120 plus individuals, the, the balance are family offices. Yes, individual members, less than 88 1-8% are women. But interestingly, on the family offices, the reps are more than half are women. So they are women in the space, but probably those who are making direct investment-related decisions are a lot lesser. And I think in the ecosystem, we know, I mean, I know three, two to three funds, they, are, they, are, they have a very direct women decision-making process, women-led IC meetings and that. But I think not a big number. So what's driving that from your perspective? What's driving that? I think, first of all, a lot of, I mean, if that's say we're talking about institutional investment environment, fund-based, fund management side, probably a lot of the women who are involved in this space, from what I could see right now, a lot of them are in the financial compliance, legal side. Less than 10% I know are actually in the in the operating side. I rather than they're in the deal sourcing, but I think I don't see a lot in that decision making process, in the IC process. Could be because maybe less women are willing to step forward. And I mean we have one case in in 
recently that the woman stepped back. She's actually the, the forefront, but because of family commitment, she has to pull back a little bit, right? I, I guess women have to shelter, I mean, have to, to make sure they balance their life. It's a, it's a very personal decision. There's nothing wrong with it. But the outcome is just this. Yeah. So I think you've always been a big voice, right, for more women professionals to join angel investing. I've heard you speak about that on panels. You've also spoken about that personally. From your perspective, why should more women professionals, why should they go out and angel invest? Why should they do it? I would say for on multiple levels. So one thing about women, I, I wouldn't say all women, but I would say that quite a few of the, the women that I met, they care a lot about outcome and impact, impact-based business outcome. So it's beyond the P&L, it's, the, it's the, the how many jobs you create, how many lives that you impacted. And if you want to talk about this through charity, then that's one way to do it. But the other way is if you could be involved with startups from earlier days, it doesn't have to be an impact-based, poverty-based, uplifting business in that sense. But you could nudge the founders to do things in a certain way, to get them to be more open-minded, to get them to be more conscious and aware of certain behaviors. So for one thing, I mean, the buzzword nowadays is carbon footprint. So if you're working with a founder who is in the space, energy consumption and, and stuff, you could nudge them to behave in a certain way, to spend in a certain way. So it's actually, to me personally, I believe that it's not true that startups cannot be ESG conscious. Actually, in fact, a lot of startups can be SDU driven. But of course, not all, all 17 of it, but you've got to select certain targets at all on the second tier level, how to, how to improve that. So it can happen. So I think women can make this happen. And sometimes, of course, at the startup level, we, we are very conscious of how additional demands can bring up the cost, can cost. But we can be mindful and nudge certain mindsets. And that has a long-lasting effect. Yeah, I think the impact part is really important. And I think one interesting dynamic, and we've talked about this in the past, is really about new and financial investors who are also looking at it from a return perspective as well, right? Yes. So could you share a little bit more about what are the, say, common barriers slash things they need to understand, which includes both financial investors as well as women professionals, right? In terms of rate return and what they can get. Yeah. So I would say, so first thing across the board, both men and women who, who invest, the one key thing that of course we're, we're mindful of is the returns. And whether the portfolio can, is the portfolio structured in a way to give you regular returns or just percentage returns at the end of the, the cycle, right? So typically your bonds and your equities, they'll give you percentage of return. You, you aim for, ideally for a balanced portfolio between 7 8% per annum. But the early stage investment, what personally I would think of it as legacy bucket is where I want to get the growth. So on a personal level, I have the rainy day bucket, I have the daily cash need bucket, and then I have my legacy bucket where I want it to multiply. So PE investing, early stage investing should belong to this part. And it should be, a, it, it should be the, the proportion of it should be impactful on your overall portfolio so that when it multiplies by 3x, it has an impact over it. But it has to be a consistent effort. 
So one key thing about uh, risk management is portfolio thinking. So you, when you have multiple asset classes, that is a portfolio of asset classes. Within each, each asset class itself, you further diversify, you further have multiple entry, not entry points, multiple units of investment so that you've met, you, you manage your risk further. And another thing about early stage is that you have to be a vintage thinking. You have to do it over five, seven, ideally 10 years so that you go in at different time. I mean, if you did everything in 2022, 2020 to 2022, you probably enter at the most expensive era. But this year is different. This year you can see it coming down and then you, you make use of the, the market situation, right? So it's, it's, that is actually one key thing that investors across board should think about. And I would say, of course, crypto can give you 20x, 200x in a couple of weeks. But I don't know whether those days are coming back. I mean, I never joined. I, I didn't join it, right? I missed it, right? I, I wish I, I was brave enough to, to join it that, that right earlier on. But I think that is actually one thing that people got to, to bear in mind. Coming to women investors, I know women, especially the, the high net worth ladies, some of them I know, the, the way that they, they spend on, like just now we were talking about the MS bags, each bag, some of the limited editions, the, the price of the bag, it's almost two to three times my personal per angel investing budget. So it's like easily half a mil, quite a number. I, I, so some people believe that luxury items is, is a, is an asset class, it's a capital, you can get capital returns on it. I, I'm, actually, I, I'm not in the game, so I'm not really sure about that. Yeah, so I, I feel that, and also the other thing is when you buy a bag, you're not impacting anyone. You're impacting that salesperson's commission, <laughs> but you're not impacting on mankind. You're not impacting on number of jobs created. There's no multiply effect in that sense. Yeah, so, so I feel that for women who care about paying forward, for women who really believe that they can further their impact in life, angel investing is actually a good way to do it. And you don't need to do it in a big way, right? I, I think if you start it small, 20,000, 30,000 can be one check manage it over five, seven years to get a portfolio of 20 cases. That is maybe just two MS back. <laughs> I always remember as a kid, I was always confused about these handbag motorcycle tees, right? Because I was like, why would someone run? And I was like, maybe there's a wallet inside. I always thought they stole, was trying to steal the phone and the wallet inside. And then, like you said, <laughs> I've only recently enlightened to the, to the retail value, right? I said up to half a million dollars per bag. And I'm like, Oh my God, I could, I, I can't even think of wearing a half a million dollar it's thing. It's so dangerous, right? Yeah, and, when and you're I, walking I, on the street. And I lose my bag quite often as well, right? So I'm like, I forget my bag or I leave it on the bag with my laptop yeah. just to like go to the restroom. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'd be like, wow, now I understand there's a good ROI for a motorcycle handbag tees, right? Yeah. And like you said, right? I, I definitely starting to notice, yeah, I have some folks who, like you said, I think they obviously look at it as art. They look at it as consumption because they get to enjoy it. And also they look at it as a conservative. Like I said, they feel like they can definitely get the money back. There'll be some appreciation over time. So I think there's some, like you said, conservative capital appreciation that they look yeah. at it as a safe investment. But yeah, I think one thing I noticed was like, yeah, you know, someone had a hundred bags. <laughs> I saw that nice on the shelves. And, and in my head, I think I kind of realized was like, Actually, that's like like a fifty million dollar seed fund, right? <laughs> like that's larger than some VCs that are in Southeast Asia <laughs> and on a wall, right? I actually know someone who actually installed security system 
to look after that particular room where all her bags are in. And this is Singapore. It's not like in LA where, you know, you have the whole house on, on, on anti-theft system. This is Singapore. Singapore, we actually have landed housings along 6th Avenue that has no gate, right? And then this lady actually installed, she had that many bags and she installed security system for that room. So next time when the VC asks for an LP commit, they say, hey, just, just, just commit two bags. Yeah, two bags. Just like, transfer the bags. I'll, do, I'll handle the resale uh, value from there. <laughs> so, <laughs> don't need to give cash. Don't need to wire. Just pass me the two bags. Yeah. But I think like you said, I think it's very fair, right? Which is, I think that's about the bags, right? But it's the fact that every million dollar check, for example, can potentially create thousands of jobs down the road, right? Because of the business that you're building, but also kind of create the future, right? And I think one interesting part is like, I think it's tough because I think stock markets, right? It's like, oh, 7% rate of return, right? It's consistent. You can put it on an index. You don't have to touch it. You don't have to think about it. You get 7%. And then if, if you're making a- and You can sell it tomorrow. It doesn't work. Exactly. It's very liquid as well, right? Yeah. Versus- yeah. I think a lot of prospective angel investors really struggle because they're like, okay, if I angel invest, firstly, I have to do a lot of work. I have to yes. turn up. I have to make votes. I have to make a decision. I'm not very good. And then if I get it right, then maybe I'll get, yeah, 10, 20, 30% net return, which is very good, maybe. Or I can be very wrong and I can lose it all. But the worst part is that I have to wait 10 years yeah. Yeah. before I can exit, right? Yeah. So it's very illiquid as a return. And so how do you sit down with folks and kind of like walk through this thing yeah so actually whatever you say just now is what I say to them and then the key is so I do not believe in romanticizing what this asset class is about so I will rather spell it out and let the individuals digest and filter because they need to go through their own system and I actually would discourage members who just joined to start investing immediately. My typical feedback to them is that listen to at least three, five pitches. So every pitch is four companies on average. You at least listen to 20 pitches, go through the process of analyzing, talk to the founders before you write your first check. There are some founders who are so charismatic, so you know it, it just draws you to them, right? And that will trigger your first investment, good and bad. Because if that guy is really that, so still end up beyond the vision, beyond the charisma, there's execution capability. So that definitely will be a good, I was going to use the word good, bad, but I would say it's a considered decision. It has to be a considered decision, but there is a lot of that intuition as well. And especially if it's a space and you understand. I am not for angels who invest because it's a hot space, because it's a space that all my friends are saying is going to make a lot of money. But it should be a space that you feel that personally there is some affinity and some, a space that you think you can be relevant. Because, like you said, angel investing is very time-consuming, before and after. And unfortunately, before investment, a lot of data that you're looking at, if you're doing post-seed, pre-A or even A-plus round, you have some data to back on. But if you're doing pre-seed, that spreadsheet, sometimes the spreadsheet only has three lines. And then when you drill down to three lines, you realize that it's really castles built in the air. There's no patterns to, to recognize. And the patterns are also created by the founders. It's imagined, right? So it's really how you read the founder, how you decipher that part. And then you apply your own personal understanding of the space or your personal observation of the market to see whether that kind of imagination makes sense or not. 
So it's very much about you understanding yourself. So while a good founder is very reflective of themselves, an angel has to reflect on your own value system before you set what is the space that you want to go in. There are some angels who like to, who, who want to be called an angel because it's a, it's a good decoration item, right? You see some, some LinkedIn profiles. I, I know one lady who has, what, 70, 80 syndicates and then she just tag it to her name. I was like, wow, right? And, and it's, it's, a, it's a good decoration, I would say. But I think for me, I invest because I believe that in the founder, I want to believe that business is going to make a difference to the ecosystem, to the economy down the road. Because there are a lot of problems in the space, in, in life, business, economies, financial, technology, and everything. And if we don't support these new ideas to disrupt, to support, to better, then we will never achieve. I mean, the one thing that I always remember, IBM may be a passe thing. I mean, my first job was with IBM. I always use IBM. It's, it's a hundred-year-old company that went through its days. But at the peak of it, the number of jobs, the amount of technology, the kind of innovation that it was giving, they couldn't have done it if there was no support. It's just that during the climb for IBM, I mean, the, the style is different. It's just a for our current era, the, the climb is no longer true with number of years, but it's picked this way at, with resources from the ecosystem. We need to know that if we don't support, things are not going to change. And coming back to the ESG part, if we don't support the early stage climate high against us, I think we don't have year 3000. Maybe it's, we don't have year 2500, right? We, we don't have that. And I, I mean, those, those sci-fis about Mars and, and whatever, Jupiter and whatever thing, sad existence, but do we care? If we care, we got to do something. And on that note, what, what times or experiences have you been where you've been brave? Oh, brave. So my financial decisions are usually very considered, especially I have a very smart husband who is very, who, who told me, right? I think the, the, the really brave thing is it's more a personal experience. I think after I turned 35, 38, during that period of time, and, and bearing in mind, I'm a very Asian value person. I, okay, this is a bit personal. I, I, be, I decided to be brave and cut off the toxic relationship in my life so that I can be happier. And, and unfortunately, it came from my immediate family. And I had to do that. I think, I think it was very difficult, but it was driving me to the extent of extremely depressed, very insecure. And I had to make that call. It was hurtful. I think I hurt myself in that process as well, but I felt that I'm in a, coming to 40s, I have another 30, 40 years ago. If I, that I have continued to, to hang around, I, I'm going to be miserable. And if I'm miserable, my husband will be miserable. My kids will be miserable. So I had to certain things yeah yeah sounds tough yeah 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 it's tough right because i think myself have experienced toxic relationships right and i don't know i feel like 
if someone gave me poison, I would be like, yeah, I'm not going to drink it, right? That's pretty obvious, right? But I don't know why relationships is the same thing, but then you're just drinking poison every other day, yeah. but you still keep drinking, right? I, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I just talking out loud, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. so, so I think to be brave about that was, it, it took me, it was a very long struggle. It was struggle from, I was at least 50 to 20 years struggle. And then I decided that I have to cut it out. And so when I, when I made that decision, I told my husband that I think I'll probably go to hell for this. I mean, I'm Catholic, but I grew up in a Taiwanese environment. So I'll go to the Spartan TV for what I did. But I, I think I need to look after myself for the next 30 years on, on above the earth surface so that I can be continue to be sane. And, and continue to be relevant because this is what I'm aware of. This is what I know. I, I don't know what happens afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. It happens, right? And for those who are struggling with it, any advice you have for them on how to process or think through it or feel through it? I think I have the masculine gift of compartmentalizing. So you have to cut it out. And unfortunately, in the middle of the night when everything is quiet, that, that part comes and becomes the whole thing. So you need to be, I mean, I learned to be very aware of it and I learned to, to, to extract myself so that you don't let it consume you. And so the, the good thing about it is I'm functional in the morning. So in that 10 over years when I was dealing with it, on the surface, nobody could tell. But in the middle of the night, it's so, so my husband, I put the he's the one who got to bear the, the burn of it, right? It, it's really very tough. And then sometimes you get hysterical and just couldn't manage it. So it's you, I mean, I learned to compartmentalize my life, compartmentalize my feelings, and then forcing it out of you. Because you don't address it yourself first, you got to see it as it is. Because part of this filial piety and, and everything, like in, in Chinese, xiao sun. Xiao means look after, shun means obligate. And when you don't obligate, you don't do whatever they ask of you. Sometimes it's really unreasonable stuff. It, it just takes a toll on you. Because we have different value systems too. But we are told to we're brought out to adhere completely because otherwise you are not a good daughter, right? And so that is something that I was brought out to know, to, to say that that is 100%, 2,000% wrong. But it, it made me so unhappy, so miserable that it, it's just not worth it. So one thing I really learned throughout the process is I had to keep extracting myself, looking at it as it is, and then learn why I feel a certain way and then deal with it. So the other thing that I thought I wasn't brave enough, I should have sought professional help on this. But I, I, I couldn't. I, I somehow just couldn't do it. And that's why maybe that's why it took so many years. Yeah, so maybe getting help, getting someone to talk you through will be easier. Yeah. 
Oh, Sorry, my uh, answer was roundabout. Thank you. I really appreciate you sharing that, and I think it's very brave for you to have gone through that process, and very brave for you to share for folks who have to process that. Right? Like I said, life exactly. is long, right? And if you have another thirty, forty, fifty years to go, right? And that's why we're the government is increasing CPF contributions. <laughs> it's like government increase CPF, and we are responsible for our own happiness during this time, right? You know? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I I I I I half expect the retirement age to be raised against. <laughs> I think I was reading something like an article saying like our generation can live to about maybe 120. And I was like, okay, if, if we do everything right. And I was like, oh okay. And I was like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Lifespan. Yeah. yeah. So yesterday I was yeah. looking at one startup. You probably know them. I think the idea is managing health before we fall sick. That's that's how we need to address it. Yeah, and not health. to the extent of biohacking. There's one story yeah. about some some tech exit founder on some Disney show about who spent two million dollars last year biohacking himself, so that he's to the extent that now he's biological. He's I think he's in his forties, but his heart's biological age is thirties, and his gut is thirties or or something. I can't remember. Sounds amazing, you know. Yeah. Uh, now I need to watch the show as well. That's the other thing yeah. altogether. Yeah. Yeah. On that note, thank you so much for sharing. I really appreciate Thanks. the honesty and frankness here. I think the three big things I got away from this, of course, was the first was obviously the angel investor economics lessons that you've learned personally and as the mistakes that you've seen in yourself and other people as well. I thought it was a really interesting conversation because you're one of the OG angel investors in Southeast Asia. And so I think you have a very strong point of view, but also you've had the privileged position of as a syndicate leader working, of Angel Central working too. Working with both yeah. founders and angels. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's really yeah. a masterclass in this conversation. The second, of course, was shining a torchlight on women founder and investor representation. So I think we talked about business culture. We talked about masculine coding and communication, how outsiders should adapt and evolve to be able to uh, raise capital uh, or the step up as an investor. And also we talked about what's driving some of the underlying representation slash trends, right, in the investor space. But also I think how all investors should be excited to have a highly illiquid but strong rate of return. And but strong, strong cardiovascular muscle because you need to write off at least 70% of your portfolio. Yeah, so like you say, you say all these bad things first, and then you say, "Eh, there's a high rate of return if you can do it right." But but if uh, you like those those the the adrenaline of losing and winning, you go to the casino. Don't do angel investing because casino you spend twelve hours there, you you get your up and down already. But angel investing is time consuming, but it's rewarding because along the way, the learning not just about the founders, about the the industry, but also learning about yourself. Yeah, that's so true. And I think it's a great reminder for folks to also, like you said, potentially have one less trip to casino or like you said, invest on the Hermes bags as well <laughs> to pay it forward and create jobs and create a yeah. future. And lastly, I think thank you so much for, I think, sharing frankly about how folks can think through about their own relationships, how to improve their own emotional health and how to, like you said, compartmentalize, but also get professional help and make a decision about how to improve their own life, right? So I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to share. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jeremy. Have a good weekend. Thank you for listening to Brave. If you enjoyed this episode, please share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. 
we would also appreciate you leaving a rating or review. Head over to www.bravesea.com for member content, resources, and community. Stay well and stay brave. Stay brave.